0: Well, hello everybody, this is Hear Her Sports, the podcast about female athletes and women in sports. I'm your host, Elizabeth Emery. Joining me today is Katie Visco, who ran across Australia 100% as a challenge for herself and to accomplish one of her long-held dreams. Katie talks about having a life purpose, letting the next best decision manage her big projects, and the huge value of telling stories. A quick note, at one point during the conversation, Katie says, I know dudes aren't allowed on this podcast, Yeah, well, that's true, but it's really less that than giving full space to women to tell their own stories. In this case, it was great to hear Katie's interpretation and experience of her husband Henley's involvement. It's also wonderful and amazing to me that this episode so nicely relates to the last fast track with Laura Moretti-Reese and an upcoming episode with Jackie McWilliams, Commissioner of the Central Intercollegiate Athletic Association. So keep listening. Sign up for our newsletter at hearhersports.com and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at hearhersports. I also wanna acknowledge the fires that are happening right now in Australia. In the episode, we talk a lot about water, climate, and taking care of the planet, so those folks in Australia are very much on our minds. Well now, let's meet Katie. So today's guest is Katie Visco, who on November 8th finished running across Australia, 2200 miles, three and a half months, and more than a marathon a day. Instead of vehicle support, her husband Henley Phillips pedaled a bicycle loaded up with 350 pounds of their gear, their food, and water. This is the first ever bicycle-supported transcontinental run across any country. In 2009, she became the second youngest and 13th woman to run across America, while making that trip from Boston to San Diego, she also spoke to more than 200 audiences, encouraging people to go for their big dreams. I'm sure we're gonna talk about a lot of that. So welcome, Katie. I'm so glad this worked out after, I don't know, lots of emails back and forth.
1: Yeah, good day. Hello, thank you so much for having me. And I am in Australia still.
0: Excellent. When do you go home?
1: We go home in a week. Oh, so soon. Live, living it up while we're still here. <laughs>
0: good. Yeah so you know like i'm sure we're going to get into the details but i want to first see if you're able to describe what it was like to run across australia
1: well that's a big one (laughs) i know
0: i always start (laughs) big why not (laughs) i
1: I can definitely describe it so there's definitely been some time to reflect and each day both henley and i were reflecting on what the heck we're doing and what it feels like and how we feel so what it was like to run across australia One of my mentors actually put it really, really well, and he's run across, like, the world, essentially. And he said, you know what, Katie, it's going to feel like you are in jail. And if I was to describe what it was like to run across Australia, most days it it was torture because, of many reasons, you know, Australia is unrelenting in terms of its desolation, its wind, its heat, its flies, just epic amounts of flies. And just the difficulty of the entire thing where you don't have many comforts at all, given the bicycle support, you're basically camping and also running 30 miles a day in the heat. And just, it's, it's uh, torture. Is it
0: what you expected?
1: Oh, gosh. I just expected it to be hard. Granted, you know, Henley and I did our research, you know, as best we possibly could. We didn't go in there without being confident and well prepared. It's just, it was a lot harder than I thought, but it was exactly what I wanted. So what was it like to run across Australia? Incredibly difficult, like being in jail with all due respect to those who (laughs) have actually experienced jail, but it was my own jail. And um, there's a lot to say about that, but 100% worth it, completely beautiful and exactly what I wanted. (laughs)
0: <laughs> what did you want?
1: I wanted challenge. I wanted hard. I wanted an experience of, you know, to pinch myself, to to stoke the fire a little bit, to see if I still had it. I would like to talk a little bit about that, maybe now or later, because... There's a lot of pressure out there, especially for athletes who want to do big things or achieve big goals or run across a country or do some kind of big travel adventure to make it for something else, like to make it tangibly for something else, like raise money for something or spread a message or those are all noble things. But I had a lot of, I struggled a lot with that, like thinking that I ought to do this big run for something other than myself. And I want to say now that I expected this run to be for myself because I needed something to stoke my fire again. And I think that's a really, really important story that comes out of my journey and my intentions, because the most important thing in your life is you and you've got to take care of yourself. So I am proud that this run was ultimately for me and ultimately for me and Henley as a couple. So yeah, it was what I wanted. And I wanted something for me, something very hard.
0: It's so interesting you brought that up so quickly because I definitely wanted to talk about that because it seemed like there was this, I don't know, like unsureness about whether it was for you or whether it was to make a point, you know, like reading and prepping to talk to you. I was never really clear what your thoughts were about where this fit in.
1: Yeah, yeah. I'm glad you brought that up, too. And I think you might have picked up on my own hesitation towards putting it out there that this is for me because of the social pressures and my own pressure on myself to make it for something other than me but at the end of the day i'm not gonna lie i'm gonna tell you the truth that this was definitely for me and because i was following my dreams it's like it's like that quote out there that if you shine your light if you go and be you if you love yourself by giving to yourself in the most beautiful deepest of ways then you undoubtedly inspire others to do the same and hey I just strongly believe that's what makes the world go round. We've got to be our best selves. So, yes, this was a growing experience for me as intended, hopefully to inspire others to take their own goals and dreams and take them seriously. Like, you're you're absolutely worth those things that you dream of. Yeah.
0: Do you feel guilty having done it for yourself? I mean, I'm still very oh. curious about this, yeah. this sort of dichotomy of the trip. I think it's really an interesting part of it.
1: It it really is. And I'm glad you think it's interesting, too. Yeah. So no way do I feel guilty about it. At the beginning, I felt a little guilty. But oh, my gosh, at the end of the day, and throughout the trip, I knew that this was ultimately something that I would be proud of that, you know, it takes a lot of strength and courage to actually stand up for yourself. And so that's what I was doing. And I feel so proud. I don't feel guilty. But hey, there's another aspect of this is that it's not necessarily guilt. It's more Like, I am so freaking inspired to give back because of so much kindness that has been gifted to both Henley and I over the course of the last five months and basically my whole life when I've been on adventures and trips like this. It's like, yeah, I do want to continue to do things that are for me, but also really like, how can I give back? How can I give back? I've got, got to do more of that. It's in my bones and I'm so inspired by others. So it's not guilt. It's more like inspiration that I could do something for myself that also affects others in a very tangible way uh, moving forward. Mm -hmm. But you know, like, I wanted this to be something like a coming of age trip for myself. And I have had experience of doing a run across a continent completely and utterly for other people. and And that was the run across America. But this one, I needed it to be for me. And 10 years ago, it it was for thousands of others.
0: How did those two trips like how do they differ from your perspective sort of internally what you got from the two trips?
1: Oh man, I'll tell you. Okay, so the run across America was basically like a speaking tour on two feet. It's like I knew I was passionate about running and I had always dreamt of crossing my own continent by running, but 99% of it was about touching the lives of others and how would I compare the two? There's a train coming. <laughs> uh, but anyway, how, how, how would I compare the two? Yeah, that one 10 years ago was outside of myself. Like, I was so motivated to just be in front of people and particularly young people talking about goals and passions and dreams. And all I wanted out of that was to make a difference and see people actually feel inspired and motivated to to go out there and like take a step towards something that they love to do or dreams that they have. I know it might sound cliche to follow your dreams, but I'm such, such an upstander for that. It like life is just so worth getting out there and following, following what you dream of. Yeah. To compare that mission to Australia, that was the question, right? And it's like, like apples and oranges, you know, like being out there doing, doing an event where you're speaking in front of kids or other people, other ages, almost every day. And also running like 20, 22 miles a day. That's what that was like. People all the time breaking bread in people's homes every night on that trip. And then compare that to desolation and being inward and going across a desert, which ultimately brings out so much creativity and introspection because of that environment. Just like totally different trips and on purpose, actually. Oh, I just, I just love how they're so different. (laughs) And and, yeah.
0: (laughs) What brought you to the moment of wanting this sort of coming of age trip?
1: Yeah, that's a good one. I think probably the last six years of my life, I've worked towards being able to run across Australia. And back in 2013 was the very first time I actually decided that I would do this. I would run across Australia. It's a desert continent. I'm going, I'm doing this. And there's so much more to the story, but that was the first year I decided to do it. I had been dreaming and wanting to do it for almost a decade before then. But 2013, decided to do it. I train, I create a campaign that's all about again, like America, inspiring people to or I will I might not even use the word inspiring, just like be an example of what you can do when you give your dreams strong, heavy weight. Like take them seriously. You can do those things. So that's what that campaign was all about. I train, I put the word out, make a little movie, but I get injured and quite heartbroken, actually, because like just this ultimate dream of mine, just, okay, my body's not working. And then two years later, I try it again. I put the word out there. I start training again. I get injured. This is the very quick story of it. Yeah. Yeah. And then finally, after a very specific inspiration, it's Halloween night on 2018 and I decide, enough is enough. I have to try this again. Third time's the charm. Like, So I decide I'm doing it. It's going to happen in 2019. And so I decide to do it again. I train for six months. And I get to Australia. And I finally run across this continent. And So it's been a long time. And you asked, what was the, the inspiration for wanting it to be a coming-of-age kind of experience for myself? Is that right? Yeah, yeah I think because of my relationship with running and injuries, I've learned that, you know, it's hard to trust my body sometimes, but ultimately like I need to trust my body, even if it's through pain and suffering and brokenness. And so because of the last six years, you know, being on and off with the sport that I love so much, I kind of felt like I needed something to help me trust my body again. Hmm. Something like really, really hard that if I could get through, I could really do anything. Hmm. So I think just because of the ups and downs the last six years of my life, I just needed a, I needed a little poke. Right. I needed something totally confidence boosting within my body and mind so that I can move forward an even better person, an even stronger person. And I think that's a human, a human thing. It's whether or not you decide to give that to yourself that sets apart like people who go for the things that they think they need and those who just sit back and wonder yeah
0: I wasn't going to ask you about training, but you mentioned that you had gotten injured the last couple of times and you didn't get injured this time. Do you have yeah. thoughts about why that that happened or didn't happen? I
1: should say? Oh, heck, yeah, I think oh. part of it is luck. No. <laughs> I think part of it part of it is luck, but I also think the last couple of years, you know, from the second time I got injured to the third time trying this Australia run and training for it, like I actually took a step back from running. I did other things. I did a lot of bike packing and cycling and just other things to help be balanced. And when we talk about the body from a physical standpoint, I strongly believe that because of those two years of not running terribly too much compared to the other two decades of my life, I think that's what set me up to being a bit more strong and balanced. And also in training, the one thing that set it apart from the other couple of times of trying to train for this is that I was super focused on yoga. Mm. (laughs) It was Bikram yoga, actually, and helped me train for the heat in Australia. But just being consistent with strength, I think, really, I believe it helped prevent injury.
0: Strength makes such a difference.
1: Yes, doesn't it?
0: It sure does. Yeah. So, yeah,
1: on a physical level, I believe that.
0: So you finished about three weeks ago. Yeah. What do you want to remember? What do you want to take away?
1: So, okay. Okay. This might sound so dumb, but I'm going to get a tattoo to remind me of the answer (laughs) to your question. (laughs) I know, I'm just, you know, I had to say it. But the tattoo is two flies. And the two flies represent... Okay, let me just back up and say, most days we were covered with hundreds of flies. And the head net is our like the most important piece of equipment we brought on this trip. So with that in mind... These two flies represent that whatever it is, this is what I want to take away. Whatever it is, if it's brutal, if it's maddening, if it's so freaking hard, you just want to sit down and cry, whatever it is, even if it's joyful, whatever that is, the moment is brief. And whatever it is, you will get through it. You'll get through the joy. You'll get through the hardship. You'll get through anything you can possibly feel. And it's always brief. So those two flies represent the hardship the joy, the desert, Australia, the maddening times when I just wanted to cry. But I got through it and I can get through anything if I just remember that moments really are brief to savor them and also just remember they will pass. Mm -hmm. So that's my lesson to myself. And gosh, I and y'all who are listening, you know, it's just so much stronger than you think you are. Gosh, I'm I'm completely in awe (laughs) of the human spirit And the body and oh my gosh it gives me goosebumps yeah
0: that's cool i and i also like that you're having a tattoo because i mean when you do when you do big (laughs) things like that it's hard to remember
1: yeah it it is it is and it's striking and funny sometimes how those big things are hard to remember but man we gotta we gotta remember those big lessons in our lives huh Mm -hmm. yeah
0: do you have any thoughts like what the long-term impact you know, both physically and mentally will be of this Mm -hmm. trip.
1: Honestly, that's exactly, in terms of mentally, the flies, the tattoo, what I just said really is what I want to take away. I think it's a lesson that I have relearned that I want to take with me my entire life. It's such a big one. Mm -hmm. I mean, really anything. And then physically exactly what we touched on earlier is just being a balanced human, being a balanced body. And, I don't know, balance is kind of something that I don't know if anyone can achieve, but just having this equal parts strength, equal parts endurance, equal parts, you know, confidence in my body. That's absolutely what I'm taking away from this because I think it saved me just not having running being my only thing, doing yoga, swimming, running, just being a varied person in terms of fitness and activities. Mm hmm. Those are two things I will take with me my entire life. At least that's my intention. (laughs) Excellent.
0: Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about planning, but, you know, to set it up, can you give a very brief description of what your days were like? Sort of, you know, did you wake up and start running?
1: Oh, yeah, actually. So woke (laughs) up. We woke up before sunrise about an hour, hour and a half, but I would do an hour and a half running chunks four times a day, which would be 28 to 38 miles total. And in between those chunks, we'd break for an hour um, to eat, snack. And after the third chunk, we'd break for lunch for about three and a half to four hours to wait out the heat of the day. So it was running and eating. And alongside, there's my husband, Henley, with this 300 pound bicycle with, you know, 150 pounds of water. I think that's just amazing. It's it's amazing. Like, you know, at times he is 90% of the story. And at times I'm 90% of the story, but together he is half of the story. And just watching someone you love go through incredible hardship on the bike, through sand, through dirt, wind, it's incredibly inspiring to me on what a team can do and endure. But anyway, yeah, so Henley did everything else besides running. Oh, wow. And and yeah, he cooked, he rubbed my legs, he set up the shade tarp, the tent. He did absolutely everything, as well as pedal this massive beast of a bike. So, I mean, the guy is a superhero in my book. It's just remarkable.
0: Yeah. I love that you guys did it together. I think that's really awesome.
1: Yeah, I do too. And I just hope our story really, really can touch some hearts because we are a married couple, because we love each other, and because we've endured so much together. I think that's another huge part of the story on a deeper level. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
0: You talk a lot about wanting to inspire people or motivate people to follow their dreams. So let's talk about sort of how you tackled planning for this big project.
1: Sure. Yeah. The whole planning aspect. It's a hard question to answer, actually, because I feel like the planning part of it and planning for events like this that I'm really stoked about comes naturally because I love it so much. But you're asking maybe how exactly I went about it in terms of step by step. Is that right?
0: Yeah, I think because, you know, sometimes when you see a big goal, yeah. you know, oftentimes you're not going to go after it because it just seems too big.
1: Yeah, definitely. Oh, gosh. And so, so what do you do? You know, I'll answer that in the context of what I think about some other things I want to do in my life where it seems a little bit overwhelming. Like when I feel that way or when I know it feels a bit too big. And I got this advice from a mentor years ago. It's, and y'all have probably heard it before, but it's like, what is the next best decision? Literally the next best decision that you can do right now, today. That's it. That's it. And add those things up. Just add those things up day after day and you'll get there. Mm-hmm. It sounds so easy, doesn't it? <laughs> it's like oftentimes when I think of things that seem hard for me, it's like, well, oh, wait, shoot, what, what is the next best decision and how do I make that decision? So that's the hardest part for me. Yeah, just like when I think about that and it's like what I do, I have to look at my options like I can do this or this or this Next. And when I think about the next best decision, the only thing I have to do is look at the overarching goal. And the overarching goal is yada, yada, yada. Mm -hmm. And which of those three options for my next step achieves that goal? And I experienced this along the way across Australia. It's like, what am I doing this for? What is my purpose? And when I had days that are so, so hard when I was crying on the side of the road, when I saw my partner struggle so much, it broke my heart in those really low moments. Motivation is so fickle that I have to remember my purpose. And I take that lesson back. And it's like, for all y'all who have dreams out there or goals, it's like, what is the next best decision? Well, first think about your purpose and then come up with your next few options for your next best decision and figure out which of those options actually achieves your purpose. So, I think just getting really clear with one's purpose in any kind of goal or endeavor is absolutely the crux of the whole thing. Like, you have to do that. It's going to keep you motivated. It might be the only thing that keeps you motivated.
0: And we'll be right back. Today's episode is brought to you by Sufferfest Beer, founded and led by female athlete Caitlin Landisberg. Wanting to celebrate her finish line moments, Caitlin was searching for a beer that had great flavor without compromising her autoimmune disease. So she took matters into her own hands and spent years developing the beer that she wanted to see in the world. Sufferfest beer is gluten removed with ingredients that hustle hard. Their FKT pale ale has ingredients like black cherry currant and sea salt best enjoyed at a sweaty finish line. To find Sufferfest near you, go to Sufferfestbeer.com. Here's to sweating and to celebrating. Do you remember when you first decided on October 31st, like what was your next best decision?
1: <laughs> oh man, that, that's a perfect question. My next best decision was to tell my husband. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 but yeah, yeah. Like, look, honey, I've got a plan for us. <laughs> By the way, the bicycle support was his idea, so he can't complain. Right, It was a <laughs> anyway, good idea. The next, yeah. The next best decision was, okay, I'm going to run 180 miles a week. I need to start running. So the next best decision is I came up with a training plan for the next two months. Yeah, just like a very simple, I need to get my body together. So I created that plan. Yeah, actually, that is what I did. I remember very vividly, I made a plan for myself for my training to build up to 30 miles a week. Because I was like at 15 miles a week at that point. Mm
0: -hmm. And how did you plan for logistics of, you know, like the water, but also you know, what did you eat and how did you plan to carry that and get resupplies and all that?
1: Sure. You know, I know dudes aren't allowed on this podcast, but I wish Henley (laughs) could talk about that because, because, so that was Henley's role. Henley planned the route completely. He planned the resupplies completely. He planned the water resupplies. He planned everything having to do with our survival. And I specifically asked him to not show me the route because i just didn't want to know what I was getting myself into. And I just wanted it to kind of be special when I got there. Mm -hmm. So, so I don't think I can answer that question. Um, but in terms of nutrition, I knew I needed some help because it seemed kind of daunting to me to prepare to run, you know, more than I did when I ran across the U S like the weekly 180 miles a week is something that felt daunting to me. Like, Oh my gosh, am I going to, break my body? Am I going to just be depleted and everything? How am I going to get my nutrition? So I did ask a nutritionist for help who I've come to love. Her name's Dina and she's the nutrition mechanic if y'all want to look her up. And we focused on getting enough calories, which actually part of the purpose was to practice eating more because I knew I would have to eat like like 3,800 calories a day out on the road, which I didn't ever actually do because that's a ton of food. So yeah, in terms of nutrition, we basically focus on everything, proteins, carbs, getting enough, teaching myself to eat twice the amount of snacks that I normally would in a given day during training, because I tend to not eat large snacks. So I taught myself how to do that to get in a new habit of just eating more than you think you should. (laughs) And you know, Every woman is different with that, you know. So I practice getting into a habit of not skimping, of being generous with my food. <laughs> I like it. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And so what what were you actually eating?
1: For the run, it's very difficult to actually plan your nutrition in Australia, especially when you're going on back roads, because there's like five options over the course of four months for grocery stores. Oh, wow. So. What this meant is that like every week or two weeks, no, like every two weeks, we would actually be able to get more food. Mm -hmm. So you kind of got to only be able to get what you can get at stores in the middle of the Outback. And they typically had canned fish, noodles, pasta, canned beans, and then apples and oranges every once in a while. And then oats for breakfast. That's what we ate. It was very dull and (laughs) uh, yeah, very, very dull. And that was the concern, you know, like I knew that I wouldn't really be able to eat much in terms of anything other than beige, right right? <laughs> you know, so I knew I would be getting my body into that and it would be no nutrition whatsoever in my opinion. So oats all good. I could do is <laughs> oats are good. yeah, those those are good. <laughs> it's just like nothing colorful. And yes. I I knew that that would take a toll, but it's whatever we could get. I mean, now I'm definitely focused on colorful foods for recovery, like more than ever. Yeah. And, and... yeah, it wasn't an inspiring diet. Right. But.
0: And did you pack, you know, like bars or anything from America? Yeah, it was
1: kind of funny. We we brought a 50 pound box with us from the United States. Yeah. Wow. of Just like there was some Kate's real food bars and Bobo's bars. Those were our two favorites that they donated for this run. And also electrolytes, like salt stick caps and noon hydration tabs that are fizzy in water those saved our life Mm. yeah we brought over those very important items and we had those electrolytes every day and the bars every day yeah those were great snacks
0: and, and I know that food is important to you because you have a soup company. So this must have, yeah. this must have been something, eating beige for four months, three and a half months.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's like the theme of the trip, beige. <laughs> beige. <laughs> oh, wait, wait, beige and red. Red dirt and beige food.
0: Oh. <laughs> <laughs> you did your own training. You didn't have a coach or anything?
1: Yeah, I had a coach for a couple of months who helped me really just, it was more like a cheerleader and uh, emotional, mental support of getting me to just create a 10% plan. But I worked with her for about two months, and then I felt like I just needed to be on my own in order to feel more confident in my body. I didn't, I needed to do this on my own. But yeah, she helped me quite a bit, just getting started. And then I rolled solo.
0: And before you had run across America, you had, had raced, is that right? You did cross country?
1: Yeah, yeah, actually. In high school and college, I was on the cross-country teams year-round, cross-country and track, and yes, did compete. And after college, I just kept running for sure and did a couple of races a year and and then found trail running in which I competed and found some success there. But just being out in nature is the best thing about this kind of travel. It's like Australia. You're in nature every single day, quiet, peaceful, outback, and That's why I just love this stuff so much. For all you trail runners out there, it's like you get it. A lot of people get that, you know, to be outside in nature is a huge motivation, huh? For doing the things we do with our own power.
0: Yeah. And it's a luxury to be doing it for so long, despite all the pain.
1: Yeah. Yeah. At the end of the day, it is. And It helps me keep an attitude of gratitude because it is a luxury to go through this kind of pain and this kind of travel. And that, I think, is luck. But being grateful for the opportunity is really important. How did you plan
0: for the pain or the discomfort? Or, like, how did you prep yourself so when that bad
1: stuff started happening that you would be able to deal with it? No, nope, I didn't. I didn't. And and I I didn't on purpose, because the point of this was to get out there and to be surprised almost. It's like to get out there and to have hardship and challenge and pain in your face and then test myself when I'm in it, what I'm going to do. What did you do? What did I do? Oh, sometimes I just cried while I was running. And then other times I just I took walk breaks and I breathed. Other times I listen to podcasts simply to distract my mind. (laughs) Those were rarities, but most of the time I just kept going and I had to just come up with strategies to keep going. And I think the biggest strategy actually was using my watch. Might sound incredibly miserable, but (laughs) I took very calculated walk breaks. So I ran for seven minutes and then walked for three or like six and two or Mm -hmm. 10 and two or and that actually kept me really present so that I didn't have to wallow in my own blood (laughs) you know yeah yeah so just finding ways to distract my mind but also being really in it and like I think there's some mental practice here that I learned along the way too it's like okay this is real sometimes I spoke out loud to myself said I feel pain I feel dread I feel suffering like but Dear pain, dear suffering, I feel you and I accept you. I feel you. I accept you. And, you know, I've listened to a few podcasts and advice in a particular podcast said, when you feel fear or if you feel things that you'd rather not feel, talk to it. And I often did that. I said, hey, fear. It's okay. I'm okay. I am safe. Keep going. And I just repeated that over and over. I am safe. I am okay. Keep going. I am safe. I am okay. Keep going. And it, it helped. It helped. <laughs> and some of these strategies are really just really quite simple. You know, just saying one thing over and over again. This has just been my process. And I think it's really helpful for me and could be helpful for others. Like instead of just trying to get rid of it, like say one thing to it, like, hello, hello, I accept you and it's okay. Whatever those uncomfortable feelings are in any aspect of life, really.
0: Well, often your body's trying to tell you something.
1: Uh, yeah, isn't it? It's like, that's what pain does. Pain is actually your friend. <laughs> it's trying to tell you something like, hey, do it a little differently or or anything. And I think it's really important that we listen to it rather than cover it up with something. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah, I agree. How do you pass along those ideas of actually going for your dreams, but also when the pain comes, keep going, you know, just getting the task done?
1: Yeah, I think the best way that I see fit is to tell stories Because it's one thing to say something. Like, it's one thing for me to say (laughs) on this podcast, hey, like, you can follow your dreams. Like, go do them. Just do it. (laughs) Like, it's one thing for me to just say it. But the reason I love and feel so much purpose in doing these kinds of adventures and writing about it and showing pictures and telling stories and being out there and communicative about it is that it's all through the stories. And if I can show someone what pain looks like, and if I could show someone what it looks like to get through pain, then I feel like I've got some traction there. Then I feel like I think somebody could probably understand. Or telling a story like when I'm in front of an audience or in a conversation or here on the phone with you, it's like there's plenty of stories to go around that can really depict what pain might feel like and what it might look like or feel like to get through it. So stories, images, definitely help those lessons come through at least that's what works for me and what I've found works. I think people react to seeing things or envisioning things or just having a story told to them. Yeah.
0: Tell a story about pain.
1: Oh. <laughs> you know, it's inter- it's, it really is interesting because the story I want to tell, the first one that comes to my mind, I didn't think about this before our conversation, but the, instantly the first thing that comes to my mind is not my own pain, but the pain of somebody I love. And so I would like to tell that story sure. because it's kind of a the turning point of the trip. We were in northern South Australia in a place very close to the Simpson Desert. Not in the Simpson, but on the outskirts. And the Simpson is like a true desert that I might envision where it's just sand. There's bush, but it's very sandy. And so we were coming apart this two or three day stretch where it's basically a sandbox where you have... It was at least two to three inches deep of sand. And there's no way around it because the road is wide, like I said, or it's narrow, but regardless, there's sand to the edges. You can't get around it. You have to go through it. And so during these days, it was just fine for me. Like I could go through that kind of stuff on my feet and still make my miles. But when I saw Henley with this massive bike, like I've been describing, So much water, so much food, pulling a pulling a double wide trailer on the back of his already huge bike, like to see the sweat come off of his skin and like beat up on his skin or to hear him groaning, to hear him grunting as he's pushing with all of his might. I like to imagine even just like a weightlifter, you know, when they're trying to lift weight above their head and they're so they're just full of exasperation. Mm-hmm. It's just so the pinnacle of something. When I saw my husband look like that and when I heard him be like that and when I saw him push with all of his might just for me, for us, for my dream, like I it, it this is a very emotional story and part of the trip for me. When I saw that, it was like my chest just crumbled it it constricted I got goosebumps my heart it's like when you say your heart breaks my my heart just broke and I just I cried I cried for him Mm -hmm. that is like the worst pain I felt on the entire trip when you see somebody the person you love in life the most go through extreme suffering Even though in this case, it was our own choice to go through this. So I will keep that in mind. But for anyone out there who sees someone that they love go through extreme suffering, like what does that feel like for you? Are you also heartbroken to see that? I mean, there's so many different examples of cases like that. I mean, People who have spouses who are sick or people who have kids who are going through a really hard time being bullied at school just when you see somebody that you love go through so much suffering that to me is how I would describe pain as I experienced it on this particular trip. And I will never forget the beads of sweat off my husband's back. And it's just like what he went through.
0: Right. It's interesting. After you've run across Australia, your worst pain was watching him be in pain.
1: Yep. Yeah. No question. No question. Like 500 times more painful than anything I experienced. You know, when it gets you at your heart, at your core, that is the worst pain. Yeah. It's like everything I experienced, I can get through it. It's up to me. <laughs> but the thing is, is that he was doing it for us. It's just remarkable.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So we don't leave it there. What was the most joyous time while you were, <laughs> actually- <laughs> while you were actually <laughs> running?
1: Yeah, Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, I will say, some might say the finish would have been joyous, given how hard the whole thing was. Like, oh my god, I can't wait to be done. But the finish was actually not that joyous. It was actually kind of sad. Just because, man, we wished it to be over so much. But then it gets here and, oh man, we're kind of melancholy about it. No, we were happy when it finished. But not as joyful as I thought we would be. (laughs) Anyway, the most joyful part of it, Mm. it happened every day. Almost every day. And it's the simplest thing. It's like, you know, when I said we took those three and a half, four hour breaks in the afternoon, Mm -hmm. we would oftentimes hole up under the shade tarp or sometimes we even got an abandoned like railroad building or an abandoned outpost for an old Aboriginal community or just like these abandoned structures sometimes or cattle water tanks in the middle of nothingness or just random or sometimes a tree, sometimes a tree. Henley would often read out loud to us and we would oh, have nice. coffee. Yeah, yeah, really nice. It's like just the highlight of every day. We'd drink coffee, have a tea. Henley would read out loud to us, and I would just lay on my back watching the sky or watching the leaves and the branches blow in the wind above me. Above me, those added up. That was the biggest joy of the trip. Every day having that. Total presence and comfort of like being with the person I love, being out in nature, and just having a moment of just absolute presence and feeling grateful for all of it. Is it weird
0: to get back to social media and being connected and all the people and
1: whatnot? Hey, thanks for asking that question. I would say it's not necessarily weird. But it does make me pause a little bit where you come out of this beautiful experience. Every day is so simple. You know, all you have to do is run, cycle, eat, sleep, poop, get shade. And you're meaningful people and you make time to actually just stop on the side of the road and have conversations. And it's just a beautiful existence. Granted, you know, life, as we call it, might not necessarily look like that for a lot of people. And also, it doesn't necessarily look like that for myself back home, you know, back in, in this life. So was it weird getting back to social media and people and connectivity? I think it was just a bit jarring. And on the same token, like it's just the reality of things and this life and existence is very different than being on the road doing something like that. So I think both Henley and I are just trying to be good with transitions. And not having it phase us too much. But I'll say one thing is that one thing we will take away from the simplicity of the trip. And, you know, we actually try to take this away from every trip we do. Because we've done quite a few things together out in nature for weeks or months on end. You come back and, and we're like, how can we bring this presence and simplicity into our lives back home? And that will always be a struggle. Always on the same token, you mentioned social media, and I will definitely talk to that is that I've learned that I don't want to use it as frequently as I, I see others using it. However, I do want to use it because when we talk about telling stories, it is simply a platform to tell a story. And I value that mm-hmm. I feel grateful for the opportunity to do so through pictures through words, because to me, it's fun, as long as I just keep it at bay. I mean, I can set my own boundaries. But I Bringing the simplicity and presence from the trip back into life back home is a big goal for me.
0: Have you been successful in the past doing that?
1: I think every trip that Henley and I do really influences the way we live back home. Mm -hmm. And so I don't have specific stories or examples of that, but the way we live our life, I feel very proud of because I hope it's an example of simplicity because we choose not to consume or spend very much and we definitely try to not have much waste at all. This is just an example of simplicity to me. It's like, yes, I do think we've been successful because we try to protect the planet. We try to not think that more is good, but rather less is more because it just brings a lot of ingenuity and creativity to the scene when you know that you can survive on so little and just really you know, sifting through what's important and what you really want versus need. I know I'm kind of rambling all over the place on that question because it's so loaded, but I think that's what I can say. One thing particularly that we came away from this trip is even more motivation and purpose for having less water consumption Mm. because when we were out there, every single drop mattered. We did about 10 to 20 liters a day of water consumption between the two of us, and that is like pennies compared to what one would use back home if you're living in a home. And so it's just something to be aware of. Like we turn the water off when we're brushing our teeth or just use less flow whenever we're rinsing our hands or don't flush the toilet every time you pee. I mean, it sounds gross, but this is the kind of stuff that I want to help to shift is why flush the toilet and use three gallons of water when you pee like a cup it's just an example like water is precious and it's going to be the new gold it just it oh, already absolutely. is yeah yeah
0: we live in ohio so there's tons of water here oh but...
1: <laughs> there is
0: <laughs> but i lived in albuquerque new mexico for five years and oh gosh. really learned the lesson there
1: yeah i bet you did yeah that's a perfect example huh
0: yeah what's next for you guys
1: oh man we're gonna go home and make money Yeah, I mean, I'm just trying not to beat around the bush, you know, what we what we tend to do, Henley and I have this lifestyle of choice. At least that's what it's been like, where we absolutely need to follow our dreams. We're not going to not follow our dreams. Life is too short. So we have these ideas of travels that we want to do that hopefully make a difference. What we do is we we work, we save and then do the next trip. So that's what we're going to do next work and save and build some community wherever we're at and uh, dream up the next thing so I can't wait and I love telling adventure stories so I just can't wait to tell stories of this trip in particular I think that's what's next for me just continuing to tell this one because there's so much to it spreading the message and doing a little bit of a speaking speaking circuit is what I intend to do so yeah yeah
0: I would love to and do you have ideas of what the next adventure will be
1: well henley and i have both always wanted to henley longer than me to cycle around the world on dirt oh, wow. roads yeah yeah I def- definitely a trip that's been done but that doesn't necessarily matter to us it's how we tell the story that makes it impactful mm-hmm. so that's something that we are highly considering other than that, it might be Henley's turn to take on a trip in which I either emotionally or physically support. Yeah, he has ideas. I'll I'll keep them for him. But something like that. But the biking around the world trip is pretty much the one that's up there in terms of what we would do next. I'm thinking maybe every decade I'll take on a continent oh. on my two feet. Wow. Yeah, I think that would be good for me. Yeah. In terms of, sorry, not good, but exciting for me personally. As just like a lifetime goal.
0: It'll be interesting to see how it changes as you age.
1: I know. And wouldn't that be a fascinating story? Oh, 50 years. Yeah. No, 60 years of continent every year. Well, I I don't think I'll do Antarctica. (laughs) (laughs) That's why I say 60. Right, (laughs) right. However, whatever trip we want to do next, Henley and I definitely want to give back. Because there's, like I said, there's just so much generosity that's been gifted to us whatever we do next even if it's bike packing around the world uh, we want to make sure that it definitely tangibly gives back so we've got a few years to come up with it but mm-hmm. we would plan with that aspect in mind as well
0: do you have long-term sort of bigger picture goals I mean you talk about giving back but is there anything specific about about how or for what nope <laughs> okay
1: <laughs> I got I got no long-term specific goals
0: but you seem like you have a lot of ambition
1: yeah well thank you yeah and and I I do I do and I feel very driven I have a purpose in life and I don't have any plans particularly because I kind of go every couple of years I have an intention or a goal but I don't have any long-term plans on purpose because as long as I just make the next best decision that's in line with my life purpose i will be just fine to answer your question no i don't i just want to leave a positive impact on this planet and the next best decision will get me there and to live a a good meaningful life yeah cool yeah yeah Mm -hmm.
0: did we miss anything
1: no i think that's totally good all your questions were great and thorough so We touched on a lot of things. I can't think of anything other than the adventure continues and y'all can check out what we're up to next. It's always on my website and Instagram. Other than that, I'm stoked to hear other people's stories of pushing the limits and being better people and giving back. If we can just inspire each other, the world will be okay. And use less water. And
0: use (laughs) less (laughs) water.
1: Save the planet, please. Yeah, you know.
0: Cool. Well, well, thank you so much. I really appreciate you taking the time. I mean, it seems like you're so busy and still in the thick of it. So I really appreciate it.
1: Hey, man, there's always time to chat with awesome people like you who are trying to share stories of other awesome women. So I appreciate you and your flexibility with me. But we made it happen. We did. Thank you. Awesome. Sweet. Well, thanks, Elizabeth. Thank you.
0: Thank you both. Bye-bye. Bye. Hey, that was amazing. I'm so glad we caught Katie right after her run across Australia. Remember to tell your friends about the women you discover here. Sign up for our newsletter at hearhersports.com to stay up to date. And check out all the links from my conversation with Katie on her show notes page at hearhersports.com. Email me at elizabeth at hearhersports.com. I'd love to hear from you. Or call our hotline at 725 be Badass. That's 725-222-3277. Our design is by Agnes Studio and music by the band Goldmines. Till next time. Bye bye.
1: You're my first one I've done after the trip. That's just me. So it's fresh. Women's Running Stories, where we explore the intersection between running and life. Because every woman who is committed to a running journey has a story to tell, and this is where you'll find those stories. I am host and producer Sheree Louise Turner. I'm a 53-year-old runner, and together with original music by musician and runner Cormac O'Regan, we bring these inspirational stories to life. Please join us to fuel your adventures.